You're listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 118. What's up, Mark? Uh, that's about what the temperature is in Houston, isn't it? Yeah, you bet it. <laughs> yeah, our summer slapped us right smack in the face. It's not even August yet. Um, but other than that, for our audience out there that wondered why we disappeared for a week and a half, it wasn't our fault this time. We had some uh, technical issues with our hosting provider that affected all of the podcasts, so we were down. Big shout out to uh, Dave over at Blueberry. Um, he worked with our technical people, and they got it back up, so we're, we're back ready to publish episodes like this one. Speaking of publishing episodes like this one, You've heard us say this before. We have our own radio station. Jacob put a link in the show notes. You can listen to us 24-7. And then, Jake, you know what's coming up that's new? Mm. There's so many things that are coming up that are new that I, I don't know which one you're talking about. So the parent for all of the podcasts, Oil & Gas Global Network, we're doing a website total redesign. We're basically building an online magazine. So if our listeners out there would like exposure to our enormous global oil and gas audience for their company or themselves and their products or services, we are actually letting you take your content, we prefer video, take your content and actually put it on the OGGN site so that your product or service and your company can be exposed to our audience. And you know what we're charging for this, Jake? Zilch, zero, nothing. So we already had a couple companies reach out to us. Um, if your company has an interest in being exposed to this audience for zero for free and wants to put up some good quality content on the OGGN uh, website, reach out to me. I'll be happy to share the details. And then we need to thank our on-the-road sponsors. Without our on-the-road sponsors, we could not be on the road. Hats off to Total, Total Land. They're the Landman Virtual Office and Lee Heck Harrison, literally the global experts in talent management. So uh, Jacob put links to those two companies. If you have a need for what they do, please, please, please reach out to them. And Jake, this is First Friday Q&A, although it's not the first Friday of the month. What happened? Well, we're here. We didn't forget <laughs> about it this month. So you guys know the drill. You write in. We answer questions. Um, we got some great ones this week. We got some ones that are a little off the wall. So we'll address that when we actually get to it. Um, so uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, first question is from a Tim Miller from Fire Rock Reservoir Consulting. Uh, it's a little bit longer. Bear with me. And I th think this is something that we addressed whenever we were talking to the Geo Convention, Mark, so I'll let you chime in after I read this. Uh, here you keep saying that sales and marketing folks need to be on social media. Could you please elaborate on this a little bit more? I'm a millennial and understand social media, but B2B on social media is quite as straightforward as B2C, or is not quite as straightforward as B2C. For starters, many of my customers are not on social media. That's nah, probably wrong. And secondly, those that are on social media are on for personal interest and not for business. I suppose LinkedIn is considered the B2B social media, but it seems like the only people who are active on it are other salesmen. The customers are active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Is this a fair assessment? How do I reach them effectively since they are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram during personal hours? That's not always the case. I've searched long and hard, but have not found good resources for helping me do B2B marketing via social media. Any help would be appreciated. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of stuff to talk around this. So when we say social media, we're, we're actually talking about digital media, not just the, your main social channels. And what uh, the problem with a lot of salespeople is they want to go to some tool, right, to so, some sale, some socials channel, and they want to do something that makes their phone ring. And it doesn't work that way. So, Tim, when I say you need to start using social media and, and, and digital marketing for your sales efforts, I'll give you a good example. Uh, open up your browser right now, Tim, and type in oil and gas sales experts, oil and gas sales experts. What you'll see is when you type that in is my company, Modal Point, comes up the whole first page. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We're not paying for that. 
right? Google sincerely believes that I am the number one oil and gas sales expert on the planet. So you can't fool Google. So we have put the right content out there enough times and had enough people actually consume our content that Google sees us as being the oil and gas sales experts. So Tim, for Fire Rock Reservoir Consulting, if somebody searches for Reservoir Consulting, do y'all come up on that first page organically? If not, you need to. That's what I mean. That's a perfect example of how to use um, digital marketing for your sales efforts. Your clients, and especially your new clients, will start finding you by searching online. And if you don't come up there in the next few years, it's going to really hurt your company. Another thing that you need to make sure of is you understand what people are saying about your company online. So we use a tool called Brand Mentions. And you basically build a query in it, and every day it will comb the entire internet and send you everything where somebody talked about your company. Uh, so there's just a couple of two quick things. And, and you're right, Tim, you're, you're, you're not going to sell your consulting on Facebook. But I promise you, I promise you that if you have people giving you reviews, if you have people talking about how good your company is on Facebook, people will take notice of it and they'll come check out your website. Then if your website has a good conversion path, they will call you. So it's, it's not as simple as being on Twitter and making your phone ring, although you can do that too. We've actually accidentally done it once ourselves. Um, it's about building that online persona for your company using all the social tools, which will then cause people to take notice of what you're doing and reach out to you. So basically it's a lead generation machine. Uh, did I miss anything there, Jake? I think most people get caught up in like wanting to post white papers and wanting to automatically just like send links to set up uh, sales calls or demos or something like that. What they're forgetting is that you have to have a solid content marketing strategy in 2017. So first you have to figure out where the attention is and you pointed out that it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Instagram. Um, it's all those types of things. Um, so if people's attention is there, it's not just during personal hours. I know Plenty of people are on Facebook during work. They're on Instagram during work. They're on it on their lunch break. People are addicted to their phone. They're addicted to social media, and that's where they're spending all of their attention. So if you can just craft a, a fantastic content strategy around that, really just building your brand as Fire Rock Reservoir Consulting, you can target, you can take your content and you can target specific audiences of people who are the demographic that you are trying to reach, people who would be interested in your content. Provide value in the form of content, become that trusted advisor, um, and from there the relationship will bloom. You're dealing with a more educated buyer these days. Everybody's got Google. You yeah. Know? yeah, and another thing, Tim, is that you're right. What works in B2C doesn't work in B2B, and even stuff that works in B2B doesn't work in B to the oil and gas industry. Our industry is different. Nobody will ever, ever buy a tree on Facebook. But I tell you what, they'll read about reviews about companies, what other people have to say. They see what the company puts out there and they see it as valuable and useful. They'll think higher of the company. Um, I'll give you another hint there, Tim. Uh, reach out to Patrick Pister with Lean Oilfield. He's my co-host in Oil and Gas HSE. This is literally what he does. He helps companies with digital marketing, but only in oil and gas. So he knows the differences and the intricacies. Uh, we'll do Patrick a favor, Jake, and stick a link to his uh, website in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Patrick's the man for that. All right, up next, a uh, question from Rob Waters. Uh, he is an asset optimization manager at Arsenal Resources. He writes, after the blockbuster acquisition of Rice Energy, EQT has become the largest natural gas producer in the United States. This was uh, the last in a number of basin consolidation acquisitions by EQT over the past two years, which, including the Rice deal, totaled more than $10 billion. With oil stagnating at best around $40, do you foresee one of the majors like BP or Shell to swoop in and establish slash regain an Appalachian footprint to at least better balance their sheets from an oil and gas perspective? Shell obviously has a vested interest in 
in this region due to their multi-billion dollar cracker facility in Beaver County, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so I, I, I know this for a fact, and I can't tell you how I know this for a fact, but um, all the super majors have taken a hard look at this, realizing that it may help with their balance sheet in the future. Um, I don't know who's going to actually make a play and when they're going to make a play. Um, there's a whole bunch of Appalachian oil and gas conferences. And one of the things that, that you need to pay to pay attention to, Rob, one of the things we pay to is look at who sponsors those conferences. When you start seeing the majors step in and even the big independents, that tells you there's an interest in that in that play, that part of the country. Um, and, and you're right, too, is that, um, you know, oil is, is we're in this long term hydrocarbon abundant world and oil is going to stay low uh, for, for, for extremely long time, almost forever. And so if, if the companies see that it makes sense as that infrastructure gets built out in Appalachian, they will come in and start investing money in acreage. Um, now, can you use that to your advantage? Uh, only if you could get ahead of them. Um, but, but like I said, Rob, one of the things to look at is look at all the conferences that go on that, go on in that in the Appalachian area and pay attention when all of a sudden when the super majors or, or the big majors start sponsoring that conference, that tells you right there, there's an interest. I agree 100%. All right, up next, uh, we have a question from, I'll just leave him unnamed. Um, he writes, I can't listen to your podcast anymore. You seem to think that everyone who disagrees with your ideas on climate is ignorant and unaware of science. I was hopeful I would learn something about the oil and gas industry from your podcast, but sadly, you really have to talk uh, a little bit other than your political views and how no one really understands science like you do. So let's pause right there, Jake, and let's, let's let you read the next one because these two kind of go together. So the next one is uh, Kevin Bessie. He was actually our Red Wing bag winner, I think, a few weeks ago. Um, he's a supply chain rep over at Anadarko Petroleum. He writes, hey, guys, it seems like Mark's recent comments about climate struck a nerve with some folks, enough to make them go back and change their rating for the podcast. Why do you all think climate change has become politicized? In other words, how did this topic go from being a scientific discussion to a political debate? And why are people so divided over it? Thanks and keep up the good work. Yeah, so uh, great question, Kevin. And for the guy that uh, doesn't want to listen to podcasts anymore, we get that, right? We understand that. And we actually try really hard not to talk politics in the show. I know that sometimes we do. I think Jake and I are going to make a conscious effort not to. <laughs> but when I give my opinion on something like climate change, that's not a political view. That's a scientific opinion I have based upon research I've done myself and based upon the knowledge I have in my own head. Um, so it's okay if you don't want to listen to podcasts anymore, which I think is silly because you disagree with my opinion, not my political view, my opinion. Um, that's okay. Back to Kevin. Why do people get so divided over this? You know, this is something that I have been studying for, for about four years now, and I've yet to get to the bottom of it. The problem I have is when I engage with somebody that has different views on me, especially around this exact topic, other topics, not so much, this exact topic, when I start questioning them, and I, I question them based upon facts, not based upon my opinion or based upon my political views. They get start getting defensive. They get upset. So when they start getting defensive, I can't get to the root of why they feel this way. Because I'm telling you right now, the people that disagree with me on this, it's based upon a feeling. It's not based upon facts. Um, and, and that feeling is a hard one to figure out. It comes across to me almost like faith, almost like a religion, right? Where you have total buy-in to what this is, regardless of what you can prove or what you can't prove. Um, and, and I'm still working on this. I'm really trying to understand why people feel this way. There's a couple of things that I think might be possibilities. Um, you know, one is by human nature, we, we like to belong to a side. It's, it's a survival mechanism back when we were cavemen. So that's why sports are so uh, popular, right? Because it's my team against your team, my side against your side. That's built into our DNA. I think that might play into it. 
I also wonder if people out there think that mankind is inherently not good or that we're not part of nature, which of course we are, um, and, and that somehow we're vilifying our earth, which is not true. Um, you know, or is it where you think that as, as, a, as a government that the people can't make right decisions and that government needs to step in and make right decisions? Somewhere in there is the answer to your question, Kevin. I am still trying to figure this out. Um, if anybody out there has a difference in opinion on me on, on the climate change, if I would love, I mean, sincerely in my heart, I would love to have a conversation with you and let's talk about why you feel that. I'm not going to be accusing. I'm not going to attack anybody. I want to understand why you feel that way. And, and Kevin, I, can't, I haven't figured it out yet. If I do figure it out, we'll let everybody know. Any, any opinion on that, Jake? Uh, well, I'm a libertarian, so I think I think the climate change shouldn't be political whatsoever. You know, I'm all about smaller government and less government intervention. So, and I think it's funny because since uh, Trump withdrew from the Paris Treaty, you've had all these organizations like uh, technology companies out in California step up and say, "Hey, we're going to do kind of our part or whatever for uh, climate change." And I think that's great. I, I you, if that's what they want to do and that's what they believe in, then then so be it. Why should why should the taxpayers have to pay for something that's not really been proven? Yep. Agree with hundred percent. So that's my opinion. Hopefully nobody changes the review based on that. All right. Up next here is, you don't have to is, read the whole thing. Just read a little bit. Cause I want to talk about this. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, High modal point. This was written to, to, to Mars Company uh, specifically. Uh, we are interested in learning more about your organization, how to reach the major oil and gas companies with our mattresses. Did you uh, say mattresses? We said mattresses. Okay. Uh, so we know that oil rigs, as an example, have a lot of strong, i.e. heavy, people sleeping around the clock in beds that likely get worn or get easily worn. We also imagine that oil and gas companies value the quality of the sleep of their employees, which is a key contributor to the quality of their work and safety. So stop there, Jake, because I don't want to okay. say the name of the company. So this was somebody reached out to me, and basically what they're wanting to do is they want me to help them sell their mattresses to the oil and gas industry. From a sales point of view, the only reason I bring this up is this is a perfect example of how you waste people's time. They did no research on me. They spent no time trying to figure out if I help mattress companies sell to the oil and gas industry. This is obviously a copy and paste they sent out to a bunch of people which is wasting, this is probably an inside sales rep or a marketing person, right? Trying to generate some leads. This is not how you do it. The way you do this, if you have an interest in selling mattresses to the oil and gas industry, you spend your time doing research, like who, where do they get their mattresses from now? What companies are providing them? What are the guidelines and rules and regulations that you have to meet to have a mattress offshore? What is the API standard that they have to meet? Then you figure out, once you understand all that, then you figure out, are there any issues with oil and gas companies buying mattresses? And if there's an issue, if there's a problem, can your company solve that problem? Once you have all that done, then you figure out who has that problem, and that's who you reach out to. So I included this one just as an example of what not to do. You know, we get questions on here. We had one earlier. I think our first question was talking about sales. This is a good example of how not to use an email um, or, or, you know, write into a website or, or do anything online to help you sell anything. This is just a bad example. They would have spent their time figuring out who had a problem that they solved and reach out to those people be much more productive. Yeah, they made a lot of assumptions in the email. Yeah, and, and everybody gets 150 emails a day. Uh, email prospecting used to work better, say, 10 or 15 years ago. Now, 
the very first thing that happens is when you send an email, especially as a cold call email, people read it on their mobile device and you have about one and a half seconds to catch their attention with the subject. And if you don't have catch their attention with the subject th- th- it's deleted. Right. And so, you know, this is just not a good use of this inside salesperson's marketing person's time. If they would have spent time researching what we do, um, they could have sp- put together a much better email that would have piped my uh, curiosity and would have allowed me to gauge with them, but this didn't do it. Emails like this just end up in the spam folder along with all the Nigerian princes trying to give me $5 billion. Yep. I thought that was true. That's not true, dude. (laughs) All right. Up next, um, I'm not really sure how to pronounce this name, so I'm just going to read it. Uh, I'm new to your podcast, and I can say with confidence that it's very well constructed. My question for you is, being fairly new to the oil and gas industry, how would I be able to do my own due diligence to be knowledgeable of the sector and find opportunities for myself? Yeah, so um, I'm going to try it. It's Agam Sharama. Um, I suspect that Agam is not from the U.S., although he did a good job with his, with his uh, question that he asked us. Um, and, and the question is really, how do you find opportunities, i.e. jobs? You know, we get this a lot, and we usually don't include this in the first Friday Q&A, and I, and I asked Jake to include this for a very specific reason. If you're outside of the U.S. and you're looking for a job, which I applaud you for, you need to understand what are the constraints first. Typically, that constraint when you're outside the U.S. is a work visa. So the company that would hire you has to sponsor your work visa. And in the U.S., the only way they can do that is they have to prove to the U.S. government that you have skill sets or experience that they can't find in the U.S. So it's actually kind of hard to get a work visa. So instead of blanking and uh, emailing a bunch of companies looking for a job, figure out what you're good at, what skill sets and experience you have that, that is you know top of the game, and then figure out which companies need that skill set experience because those are the only ones that would be likely to sponsor your visa. Now that you understand the constraint, which is the visa, it then narrows down your targets of who you need to reach out to. Um, I, you know, I appreciate that he reached out to us. I am gonna actually reply back to him, which I usually don't do because he seems like he was very open and honest and sincere about this. And I'm gonna see if I can help him a little bit. Um, but if you're out there looking for work, the blanket emails, just generically looking for work does not work, especially in things like LinkedIn, you know, reaching out to us on LinkedIn because you're looking for a job. That's not useful. It's not valuable. Figure out who has the, the need for your talents and experience. And that's who you need to be reaching out. The whole blanket stuff. Quit doing that people. All right. Our next question is the best question for the day. Uh, he writes, I would like to know if you have a solution for how to live transfer a 25 millimeter UPC gas service to a 40 millimeter PE 100 service. I can't find a 25 millimeter UP, UPVC tapping band. They start at four, 40 millimeters. Is there another item you know that I can use to cut into the 25 millimeter PVC and keep it live? Yeah, answer that one, Jake. What? <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, so... so you know, I, I'm keeping this in here f- for another example. So a tapping band, this is when you start doing stuff it's called water control, right? Uh, sometimes they're called a tapping saddle. How I know that I have no idea, but he's basically looking for a conversion kit uh, for a, a tapping band. Why he would reach out to all gas this week, I'm not sure. <laughs> Once again, this is a good example of somebody who's doing no research. I suspect that his name is Cameron. I suspect Cameron, if you'd spend some time uh, researching things online, and, and I think I probably know what the problem is. The problem is you're probably in a part of the world that you have low bandwidth connection. You obviously have enough of bandwidth connection to send a question to us, but it's probably harder for searching for stuff online. But there are other companies out there that this is their sweet spot. Um, um, you know, there's a bunch of oil and gas companies, um, service companies that build tapping bands and valves and, you know, work with water and pipe fittings, all that sort of stuff. 
when you have problems like this, and I, and I do appreciate him reaching out and asking us this, but when you have problems like this, spend some time up front figuring out who could possibly help you. We can't help you. I mean, we're not tapping band experts. In fact, I even know what one is. It's kind of, I don't know if it should be cool or kind of scary. Um, <laughs> but, you know, once again, when, when people from are out there and they're looking for help with stuff, do your research up front and just don't blanket and, and send emails like this, you know, out there because it's a waste of our time and it's also a waste of your time. You probably, if you spend enough time online, you probably could have found this answer himself. So we can't help you the tapping band. I wish we could. Sorry. Um, next time, spend a little bit of time online trying to figure out who actually is in that world. And those are the guys that you actually need to reach out to. YouTube. You can find oh, YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great, yeah, that's a great one, Jake. I, the coolest thing about YouTube is lately, anything I search for, I have trouble with somebody else that probably made a video on it. I had my, you um, can find like crazy stuff. I'm talking like crazy, crazy, very, very, very specific things on YouTube now. Yeah, now that it's I, been around long enough. I had the logic board go out in my water softener. And so I searched for that very specific model in my water softener and logic board. Don't you know, there was three videos out there, how to change the logic board. My exact, <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? In two minutes, I figured out how to do something. I I never would have been able to figure out by myself. You're so domesticated with your water softener. <laughs> <laughs> All right, up next, uh, Walter Whitman Moore. He writes, hi, Mark. I'm a lawyer from Beverly Hills. Uh, we have a client who plans to buy oil and gas from refineries in India and ship it to other countries. I'm looking for information about two topics. So uh, let's just break this up into, we'll answer the first one, and then we'll come to the second one. Uh, price term, do refineries use fixed prices for 12 months contract or sp- or spot price, or is it just subject to the negotiation? Also, where would you find one reliable? Where would one find reliable the prevailing fixed prices for long-term contracts? I know about plats. Yeah, so good question. Um, it's negotiable. It's typically built around spot price, but if you're willing to take up some risk in the contract, they'll do a 12-month contract. Um, there's a lot of uh, data companies out there that provide info into these type of things um you know spend 10 minutes online searching for uh, uh, refinery feedstock uh fixed prices and, and you'll find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies out there that provide this sort of stuff so what's the next one jake uh supervision we want someone to oversee and supervise a process from the time the uh, oil and gas is loaded onto the ships until it's delivered to other countries do you know of any companies that provide that service yeah once again quick google search and actually look for um uh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a word for it. Anyway, go out and, and search for Google and look for people that um, can manage these processes and s- search for it by country because each country is different. Here in the U.S., it's a bunch of private companies. Uh, in some parts of the world, it's companies that have a tie-in to the government. But <clears throat> literally, quick Google search, and you should be able to pull all this up yourself. And that's all of his questions. So let's do more on the next one. Uh, next one is uh, from John Williams. Uh, he's an enterprise architect, not the famous composer. Um, works at Chevron. He writes, hey, Mark, I want Jake's input on this. Oh, nice. Uh, although you can chime in later. Jake Gee, thanks. Is <laughs> 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 you pretty much said, just sit in the corner. Okay. All right. So, Jake, as an organization, we are constantly looking for new technologies and processes to drive better and better business results. However, we also understand that unless we can attract the right people, the technologies and processes don't really matter because without the right talent, the needle never gets moved. What do companies need to do in order to attract new and younger workforce? And do you think that the large super majors are at a disadvantage when competing for mindshare next to smaller, more nimble tech companies in oil and gas? Keep up the great work. We all love your show. Um, 
man. So I think the I think having worked with Chevron in particular and other super majors, I think that the big problem is that it's it's such a big ship that it turns so slowly. So it seems that the individuals within the organizations like Chevron want the new new technology. They want the new processes. They want to be cutting edge, but there's so many processes that you have to go through in order to change that nothing ever really gets changed and vendors don't want to work with you and people don't want to come work for your company um it's kind of like dealing with the government um you know whenever i talk to startups who are like they're trying to come out there and just automatically pitch the super majors the first thing i tell them is don't you're just gonna you're gonna spend so much time so much time you know trying to court these guys and there's so many processes that you have to go through that are just just ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. Um, so I think if you can fix that, I think obviously you'll retain more uh, more employees, but you can also maybe attract some new ones. I think what I would do next is if I was in your position, if I was looking to hire for Chevron, I'm guessing probably in some kind of like technology role, look at what the companies in Silicon Valley are doing. I mean, they are way ahead of the power curve um, when it comes to attracting like the best talent. Um, you know, you're looking at um, you know, the, I guess a big thing now is, you know, a lot of companies are going remote. You know, there's there's entire companies now that don't even have an office. Um, and I know that sounds crazy, but you're not limiting your talent to a specific geographic area. You can get the absolute best talent in the world. And now that is something that the top talent wants. They want to be able to work from their laptop anywhere in the world. Um, so that's always something to consider. Um hire people who are I don't know really know if Chevron has like fans you know I know like Apple has fans and Facebook has fans but if Chevron has fans if there's any fanatical people out there hire them um be a great place to work obviously compensation I mean that does that really need to be mentioned I think that's typically there in oil and gas I think I think the biggest thing is just kind of and I think this has changed Mark with a lot of like the campuses that we've been to we've kind of started to see a lot of these uh, organizations kind of shifting, even though I hate, kind of hate the term culture, it seems like the culture is somewhat shifting, at least at least the aesthetic. Uh, you know, the, the offices are laid out a little differently. You know, it kind of has more of that Silicon Valley vibe, which is good. I mean, that goes a long way for some people. Yeah. Can I talk now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm just joking, John. Jake really <laughs> is the person to, to talk to about this. So we, we're watching this change now, right? This is one of the things that we talk about, in, you know, at, at events and companies all the time is that the, the, the very talent that our industry needs is in short supply. And it's a different group of people that a lot of the old timers struggle with working with. So things that used to help you hire and retain talent is not so important anymore. You know, Jake brought up money. Money is important, but this new younger generation, that's not the thing that, that wants them yeah. to go work for a company at all. Whereas my generation, that was the <laughs> only thing that made me want to come work for you. So a couple things that we've noticed, right? So things like technologies, um, this newer, younger generation loves technology. They grew up with it. They're digital natives. So if you have a high tech company, if you show uh, prospective employees that you're willing to invest in new technology, that's a big check mark in their head. The next thing is actually behavior. How does your company function? Um, you know, if you put your company's goals in front of the personal goals of your employees, this newer, younger generation is not going to want to work for you. Um, they want to come work for a company that lets them contribute in a way they want to, but it allows them to hit their personal goals. 
other things Jake brought this up is work preferences, right? The, this younger generation, they want open communication, regular feedback. They want regular encouragement from management. They want to be recognized. Um, they have a desire to move up much more quickly the corporate ladder than, than my generation, right? They see no problem with going from, you know, um, entry-level employee to VP in two years. <laughs> and not that that's reality or not reality. It depends on the person. But, you know, it's just, it's just a different work preference. And then the, the biggest thing that we see is they want a very linear career path. They, they want to know what's their next step? Where will they grow? You know, what opportunities are there for them? And even if they don't go that way, they want to know what that is. Now, the other thing is different. Is this a younger generation? I'm sorry. When we talk retention, they're going to work for a whole bunch of different companies. You know, my generation and the generation before me was a type that we went to work for a company that maybe we didn't like our job that much, but we did it for 20 or 30 years. And then after that, we retired. And that's when we got to enjoy life, you know, delayed delayed gratification in life. This newer generation, doesn't want that at all. They want to be able to enjoy life while they're working. So they, they will jump from company to company to company. And that type of, of movement, you know, big companies like Chevron, you're going to have to learn how to deal with that because you're not going to get changed that. And I think the other thing is, is things like social. Um, this newer, younger generation is so plugged into social media on so many different ways that if you're a company looking to attract and retain young talent, you better be involved in social too in a way that's beneficial to this younger generation. So, you know, I, I, I jumped around a whole bunch of stuff on here, but this younger generation is totally different than all the previous generations and all the guys. I actually like this younger generation. A lot of people my age don't because they don't know how to deal with them. I think they're great. I've had, you know, I run my company on interns and I've had interns do some unbelievable work uh, just, I mean, huge, great stuff because they just thought outside the box, stuff that even I wouldn't have thought of. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this new generation coming in and changing our industry. Um, and Jake, we talked about this a little bit at a Geo Convention. We did our keynote, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's some stuff, John, that y- you can look at. Um, and I do think that the super majors are at a disadvantage with these smaller, more nimble companies because the smaller, more nimble companies can adapt their culture to attract this younger audience. So the bigger companies out there have to learn how to adapt too if they want to go head to head as far as competing for talent. I think another disadvantage that I've seen um, pretty much across the board in oil and gas is there's, there's a lot of big egos. Um, if you really want the best people, you want to hire A players. You know, because if you let your ego get in the way and you're an A player and you hire a B player because you don't want somebody who's going to be better than you and outshine you, and then the B player gets in a position where he needs to hire somebody and he hires a C player and so on and so forth, and you end up with a whole bunch of, you know, E and F players. Um, so I think if you can kind of let the ego, you know, drop the ego and just focus on hiring the absolute best talent whatsoever. I'm not saying that you have an ego, John. I'm just saying I've seen this in the industry. Yeah, that, that'll go such a long ways. Hire the absolute best people. Mark Zuckerberg had a quote to where he said, if you're hiring somebody or you're interviewing somebody and the tables were turned, would you work for them? And if the answer is no, then you probably should hire them. Yeah, I love that. That's a great point. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right. Um, so hopefully that answered your question, John. Uh, thanks for the question. Up next, uh, we have one from Nitya Mohan. I'm inquiring about any full-time positions at Modal Point. I'm a petroleum engineering master's student in my final semester at University of Houston with Python programming skills. Do let me know, and I'll show eagerly forward you my resume. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm actually going to reach out to him and see if I can help him. Um, and people, I, I, I'm not, I don't have time to help everybody, but you know, he looks like a sincere person. Uh, he's here in Houston. Um, but once again, this is a good example. He did no research. Um, Modal Point is a market research company, and we're changing to be a public speaking company. Um, but we don't need um, a petroleum engineer. I mean, it's not who we would hire. 
Um, and we also don't need anybody with Python program skills. I am curious how a petroleum engineer got to learn Python, got to learn how to sling code. That's an interesting mix. <laughs> um, but I'm going to see if I can help him out. But if he would have taken the time to do the research on what we do, he would realize that, that we don't have a place for someone like him. And, and this is just another example that when you're out there, whether you're looking for a job or you're looking for um, you know, partners or you're looking for certain types of supplies or whatever, just spend some time online and you can find it. I promise you, if he would have spent 15, 20 minutes more online, he would have figured out that we can't, we don't have a position for him like this. And, but he would have found companies that would have, but the fact that he was honest and reached out to me, we're going to see if we can give him, lend him a hand. You can also go to AngelList and search for job openings based on Python skills in Houston. I don't know if you're going to find any that are like oil and gas specific, but that's just another tool that you can use. Cool. Up next. Hi, Mark, Jake. I'm currently judging slash advising in a business slash startup competition, not oil and gas related at all. Uh, I was wondering if someone does this kind of thing in the oil and gas industry. The one I'm involved in is basically a way for entrepreneurs to showcase their company, get advice from professionals and exposure to potential early stage investors. I think there's a business pitch thing at OTC. But what I am doing takes place over several weeks slash months. Just curious, thought you guys would know. Thanks, Nick. So there's a few. So you're right, OTC. They have one at OTC. It's put on by the Rice Alliance. And that's like the the energy-specific event. Usually, I think for, for the one at OTC, I don't think there's a there's an investor like office hours type day. I think it's just you're pretty much going and pitching. I know I've, I haven't pitched at that one, but I've actually attended few different times. Um, but Rice also does one. Uh, they'll be doing it, I want to say it's this October. I don't know. I'm signed up for it, so I should probably know that. But it's a, it's a two-day event. The first day, you're actually meeting with uh, 10 different either angel investors or venture capital firms based on like matching. They kind of just want to talk to companies that they're interested in. Uh, and then the second day, you pitch to a room full of early stage investors. Um, it's people, representatives from oil and gas companies, uh, venture capital firms, executives, so on and so forth. There's about 500 people. So that's also another good event. There's there's some other smaller ones across the U.S., but those the Rice Alliance ones are really like the the ones to be at. Yeah, so I know that University of Texas in Austin has an accelerator program. There's also, uh, if you Google uh, Energy X, literally the word energy with X, that's another one. And then Society of Petroleum Engineers literally has an oil and gas shark tank uh, event they do every year for, for entrepreneurs. Um, they have some, actually some, some, when I say some big league investors, uh, think of the Exxons and the VPs of the world and actually pay attention to what goes on with there. So there's places out there. Um, great question, Nick. It's um, Hopefully that was helpful to you. All right, up next question from John Berkeley. Mark and Jake, absolutely love the show. I hear you two talk often about how new technologies are entering the oil and gas industry, and I see it too. My question is, what do you think this trend will do to the culture of our industry? Do you think it will make no impact, or will it change the culture in some way? Keep up the great work. You know, Jake, I'm starting to see a little bit of a theme lately, the questions people are asking us around this. This is cool. (laughs) Once again, this is something that Jake and I speak to publicly. So, um, you know, great question, John. So I absolutely agree that it's, it's changing the culture. It's starting now, like Jake puts it, we're in the first inning and they're just now playing the national anthem. We're in the very beginning of this, but it's absolutely going to change the culture. So you have the new technologies that are coming in. The new technologies are going to change the processes, right? The way we get work done. You combine with the, that new processes that are being introduced with the new workforce and the cultures absolutely could change. The cultures could be less risk adverse, although we will always be a risk adverse industry. The culture should be much more open to having new processes and new technologies. It's a younger 
much more digitally native workforce. So they're going to be much more open to um, changes that provide good business results. We're starting to see things that that I thought I would never see. The majors agreeing to standardization offshore. We're seeing the break-even point in the shell plays getting lowered. We're seeing a whole bunch of technology come in that lowers the cost of doing business and makes things safer. And this this combination of things, this kind of perfect storm that I call it, combined with this long-term hydrocarbon abundant world where prices stay low, it is literally going to change the culture of, of our industry. And, and I think it's in a good way. I think we're going to, you might have heard me say this before, but I think in 20 years, the oil and gas industry is going to look like Silicon Valley. We're starting to learn how to use social media. It took us forever, but we're learning how to, which means we can start correcting all these misconceptions that are in the public eye because we never corrected them before. I think in 20 years, the public will realize the power and the strength and the prosperity that the oil and gas industry brings to the world. I think that all the worries about us not paying any attention to the environment will go away. I think we will turn into a fast, sexy, um, you know, Silicon Valley type of culture with a very, very flexible workforce because we have no choice but to go to flexible workforce. So I think in 20 years, oil and gas will look a lot like Silicon Valley. Now, when I say that in public, a lot of the guys my age shake their head and kind of look at me like, are you crazy? Because that's the last thing you would ever think. But I'm telling you, it's, it's coming and the culture will definitely change. Yep. <laughs> I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah, the industry is definitely going to be changing. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of cool things that are going to be happening. And I 100% agree that eventually this uh, industry will look like Silicon Valley. You know, I think it will be sexy again one day. And I think the the new generation is going to come in and, and really bring that change along with them. Think about Jake when we went and spoke at Tulane, you and I, that, that group of students, that's who's yeah. going to be running our industry in the, in the, you know, in the foreseeable future, that group of students, it was nothing like the students that I saw graduate in 1985, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's a great thing. The other thing I think is cool is over half of the, I think it's 60% of the new hires in the oil and gas industry are women. And I think that's awesome. Eventually men will be the minority and that's crazy to think of. All right. So that about wraps up our uh, questions for the week. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. So now let's move on. Do we have a uh, winner this week? Yep. It's a Stephen Knotts with Deepwater Subsea, Director of Subsea Operations. The funny thing about this is I'm actually on our other show, HSN, and we're going out to interview uh, the the CEO of Deepwater Subsea this Monday, which is this almost looks like this was planned, but it's not because we have nothing to do who draws a winner. So, Stephen, congratulations. You're the uh, happy, proud winner of the Red Wing Offshore Bag. If you would like to win your own Red Wing Offshore Bag, it's super easy. You can be just like Stephen. All you have to do is what he did is go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information there and we draw one lucky winner a week. See official site for rules and details. And our weekly rig count is sitting at 1,023 rigs with a 0% change since last week. Okay, so, that happens. But it's still yeah. a good number, really good number. We can't um, see growth every single week. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about events on deck. We have Urtech, which is Unconventional Resource Technology Conference. This is a great conference. We should be there, but we're not because we're busy doing other stuff. Um, but if you get a chance to go check this out, this is put on by um, put on by a bunch of companies, but it's anchored by um, Society of Petroleum Engineers, so SPC, and then the American Association of Petroleum Geologists and the Society of Exploration uh, Geophysicists. And so this is one of the most awesome upstream technology events out there. It's much smaller than OTC, but it's also much more focused on the actual technologies that are coming into the industry. So go check this out if you can. And then we have the Marion Witsit Network Lunch. This has been going on since the 70s. It's a Wednesday, July 26th. Uh, basically, you show up at Gloria's Latin Cuisine on Louisiana Street. Um, at 11 o'clock, you buy your own meal and you get to network with a bunch of your peers. I try to make this. I haven't made it in months, but it's hosted by Oilfield Portal. 
a big shout out to Rebecca out there. Um, I've, Jake, I've seen people find jobs. I've seen people form business partnerships. I've seen handshake deals over a million dollars done over lunch there. So if you want to network in oil and gas, uh, this is a good place for you to go do that. And then it looks like you have one here, Jake. Yeah, so there's an event that I'm going to next week, so I wanted to give them a shout-out here. Uh, it's the Ener- Energy Funders Launch Party at the Petroleum Club here in Houston, Wednesday, July 19th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. Dresses business to business casual. Uh, the caveat is it's limited to accredited investors, um, so if you're looking to invest in the oil and gas space, they have a cool platform, so I'm going to go out and uh, support those guys, uh, and it should be a good event. Yeah, and if you'd like to learn about these events and more, go sign up for my monthly newsletter. We don't charge anything for it. We take all of these events, put them in your inbox once a month. And we also put stuff in there that the public's not privy to. So a lot of times there's free passes or discounts or invitation-only events. Jacob put a link in the show notes. And then this is, like we said, our first Friday Q&A. If you'd like to ask a question, it's really easy. Go to Oil & Gas this week ask a question, uh, throw your question in there. And if we use your uh, question on the show, we'll give you a big shout out. We talked about the hs e show. Go check that out. We also have a oil and gas industry leaders. Paige Wilson's kicking butt over there, taking names. Uh, she's interviewing very senior people. Go check that out. We have a LinkedIn group, Oil and Gas Global Network. And check us out on Facebook. We have an Oil and Gas Global Network Facebook group. And Jake, we managed to figure out this whole review thing. Yeah, so uh, as it turns out, there's like, what, like 160 different like iTunes stores, stores across the world. Yeah, and so we were able to actually aggregate all of the reviews in one location. So yeah, yeah, so I found a tool. Actually, it's not really us aggravating. I found a tool that we It sounded used. cooler when we did it, but yeah. you know, we did it. So um, let's get in some of the reviews. All right, so uh, here's one. It says, <laughs> five-star review. I wish CNN was this good in providing <laughs> fair and unbiased news. Good awesome. Um, another one says, I've been listening to the podcast for more than a year. Great source of information most of the time. In my opinion, the show is missing a, a lot of good sense lately. It's time to wake up and the understanding of what is going on outside of the industry as in the world note 80 percent or more of the oil produced are used to uh, no, let's keep going are used for energy and the energy matrix is about to have a breakthrough disruption in other words the dynamics are changing oil will rapidly lose ground so let me tell you what's cool about this uh, review he still gave us a four-star review he doesn't agree with us this is what we want right if you don't agree with us it's okay uh, give us a four-star review we love it and then we have, uh, I'm a new listener and can say this is a great podcast for my commute to school. It's up to date with the current events and helps to even think critically of the industry. Love it. Keep your podcast coming. So uh, every time we're going to read these reviews, and you know what, Jake, I think we might do. I think we might start a giveaway where we'll randomly take, if we get new reviews, we'll randomly take the three, four, five that we get, put them in a pot, pull out one name, and we could give something kind of cool away. Um, so if you would like to win something cool, we don't know what that is yet, and we would appreciate your reviews, take the three minutes, go to iTunes, leave us a review, um, and we'll give you a shout-out for reading on the show, and you may have a chance to win something. All right. I think that about wraps it up, man. Uh, yep. You ready to get out of here? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's get back to work. All right. So do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast. A product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.